Welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. We'll dig into the big questions like how to overcome fears, how to plan and execute a large project, and finding the things that drive you, finding your true north. In this episode, I'll be talking with Russ McCoy, another great friend whom I literally met on the road. He's an engineer, an avid cyclist, an adventurer, a blogger, a self-proclaimed recovering introvert, and an administrator for the Bicycle Touring Facebook group with over 10,000 members. He's managed to retire early so he can travel the world, and uh, I don't think he sleeps more than four hours a night, so take that. Uh, but enough of me gushing. Uh, welcome to the show, Russ. Well, good to be here, John. Thanks. That's quite an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just briefly, uh, how did you get into doing the Bicycle Touring Facebook group? Well, um, in, in the past couple of years, I've been a member on that group, at, at, you know, because I was uh, trying to study about touring around the world and around the United States anyway. So mm-hmm. I, was a me- I was a member there, and uh, there was a turnover in the administration, and there was an opportunity for me to step in. So uh, a couple of us members that were um, involved with the group decided to just take it over and start managing it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really just trying to keep... <laughs> Uh, spam out of the group and um, yeah you know more it's really just an administrative function less than yeah, well, I mean you're pretty active on there you're always you know throwing things out there questions and trying to get people talking a little more but uh, it's a fun group for sure it seems like most of the people on there are pretty active and and uh, it's neat to see the interaction between the the people that have done a lot of touring and the people that are just planning their first one so it's kind yeah of a, we, it's a cool, we've got cool group We've got so many people from around the world and uh, a lot of people that just lurk, but we also have a, a lot of people that are, are really, really active with a lot of knowledge. So pretty much any question that comes on there, there's a few people that can answer it. Yeah, it's really awesome. I enjoy just looking at it every once in a while. I always see when you post something, so I'm like, oh, what is Ru- what's Russ talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I want to get into this uh, bucket list tour that you went in on recently but uh first i kind of want to start with with how you got into or even how you came up with the idea of doing something like this were you always interested in traveling when you were younger when you were a kid or is this something that kind of manifested later in life well i'm a dreamer i i just love dreaming about being different (laughs) places and uh i I used to gather pictures of places you know being on facebook you see pictures come up in the news news feed of these awesome places that you can be. And I'm such an outdoors person. I started saving all those pictures. And mm-hmm. when, when the reality of my um, bucket list tour, you know, and I just call those pictures my bucket list. Um, yeah. But when the reality of touring and seeing these places started to get more firm, I started putting all those pictures on a map. Um, uh-huh. Never really thought of connecting the dots or even visiting those places. I just, you know, they're just wall hanging sorts of photos that were just awesome. So this is just kind of like a fun little side project, like, oh, this place is over here and yeah, yeah. learning your geography through daydreaming about awesome places to see. Yeah, we got so many great places here in the United States and then, you know, just many, many more places around the world. So when you were like a kid, did you ever think of doing anything like this? Were you into cycling as you grew up, or is, was that also something that you started doing later on? Well, you know, I think uh, like all, all kids growing up, um, when I did, we all had bicycles, and that was our way, you know, out of the neighborhood exploring. 
Um, <laughs> I never really thought of uh, uh, taking that bicycle further than, you know, around the corner to, to, to cut down a eucalyptus branch and make a slingshot out of it. You know, nothing further. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I didn't start really thinking about traveling until I got out of college and, had, you know, settled into my job and, uh, and started making enough money to be able to go places on my vacation yeah. time. Did you do any traveling after once you got your job out of college? A, a little bit. I, you know, and I, I did put a map together a while back, and I was just looking at how many states I've actually been to before I went on yeah. this tour, and, and it really wasn't that many. You know, it was just basically between here and California, and then I did a little gig working for um, a cell phone company down in Florida, so driving places. Um, and the only other times I've actually been out of the country was a couple of cruise cruises. And, uh, I went to Belize one time, <laughs> so I, not a lot oh, cool. of, not a whole lot of traveling. I did realize that, uh, I didn't really like, I went to Belize alone to do, to go bone fishing. And I realized that I didn't really enjoy, um, traveling alone that much. Yeah. Was that, so that this trip was on your own then to Belize? Yeah, I went. I just had vacation time, and I, you know, I couldn't convince buddies to go with me, and I really yeah. wanted. I really wanted That's to go. the bone, challenge. <laughs> and I really wanted to go bone fishing because I was really into uh, fly fishing, and uh, so I went down there for a week and um, island hopped a little bit and did some bone fishing, and then, and then came back. That's that sounds pretty fun, actually. So you you realized that you didn't want to travel alone. And then you decided to go on like a six month crazy bicycle ride around the country by yourself. <laughs> yeah, alone. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably once again, though, it was it was hard to convince people to do that with you, huh? <laughs> well, you know that that was the key thing. Was I had this huge resistance to doing it alone, and I just mm -hmm. was finding all kinds of trouble. Uh, coming up with people that might want to do that same sort of trip with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, and that bucket list tour was huge. It, it, it ended up being about a 6,000 mile big loop tour, you know, around the Southwest and up into Canada and over to the Pacific coast and then back. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that were willing to take that much time off or even had that much time off. So I, through, through the course of, uh, reading a lot of uh, bicycle touring blogs on my own mm -hmm. just to just to see if I could do it physically, I started realizing that there were a lot of people out there doing the same sort of thing, and it was very yeah, like yeah. very likely that I was going to stumble across other people you know on those same sorts of routes so uh -huh. I just you know I just trusted that that when I went so out kind of put you at ease a little bit yeah that i wouldn 't be alone for too long. <laughs> somebody's out there right <laughs> there are people out there <laughs> so i do you know i just jumped off the cliff alone um and just started pedaling well let's let's dig into the what the bucket tour was a little bit but maybe first start with explaining to people that might have no idea what we're talking about what is bicycle touring okay and um your, your best definition well, bicycle touring is basically traveling on a bicycle. Um, you put, in my case, I, I do what's called um, fully loaded touring. So I am fully self-contained. You know, I'm not um, bound by any motels or hotels or or uh, 
needing to come across services more than just mm-hmm. like every couple of days. So I load up my bicycle with all my gear, my camping stuff, my tent, um, and then I shop every couple of days and, and keep my water full. And I've got enough supplies and, and gear and maintenance tools that I can you know keep my bicycle running. And you just take yeah. off it. So how much did you end up finding out your bicycle weighed when it was fully loaded? Because I think that's kind of shocking when, when people hear how much the bike weighs. Because everyone's <laughs> always trying to get their bicycle to be this, as light as possible, and they're buying carbon fiber bicycles, but this is kind of a different animal. Yeah, yes. So, for example, I, you know, I, I, I have a, a really sweet carbon fiber racing bicycle that I just love, and I've been riding for years. And that bicycle, yeah. with its two bottles of water on it weighs just over 18 pounds. Um, <laughs> That's light. That's crazy. <laughs> so compare that, you know, and then compare that to the guys that are doing the Tour de France. Those are 15-pound bicycles. Well, my, mm-hmm. bi- my bicycle, my touring bicycle that I call the Sweet Escape 3, by the way, it weighed 117 pounds the day I left uh, New Mexico to start my tour. Wow. And that's with the water and everything? That was with uh, three or two days' worth of water and three days' worth of food. That's crazy. I, I think I was pretty close to you because <laughs> when, when we met up, uh, we we tried grabbing each other's bikes and we I were think definitely you, the two heaviest anyways out of the group we were riding with. I think you you were at least one rubber mallet worth of weight more than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can get into that story at some point here. <laughs> uh, so how how did you make this happen? I mean, where where were you in life? when you decided you were going to do this tour because uh i kind of i would i wouldn't mind if you'd go into a little bit about your your situation i know financially you were kind of in a rough spot for a while and you were just living like every other americans told to live with debt and you know sp- you know spending your entire paycheck and uh just kind of having more month than money at the end so <laughs> uh maybe talk about where you were and what what sparked your decision to change yeah, okay. The, there was a time when uh, it, yeah, things were pretty rough, uh, just coming out of a divorce and uh, dealing with lawyers' fees and bills and such. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Things were getting pretty tight. And I was, you know, that was even with uh, my engineering income. And I, I'll never forget the day that I went to, uh, I, I tell this story a lot, so it, it's easier to tell now. <laughs> I went to a... <laughs> buy my grandmother a birthday gift on her birthday and uh they they declined my card <laughs> uh wow and i that, i think that was about that was the day for sure that uh i started thinking about you know why do i have this big huge house why do i have all these toys why you know what is this what you know what joy and value am i getting out of having all this stuff you know i what you know mm-hmm. i wasn't I wasn't uh, living in the back of my car. Um, I I had all of the material things, and yeah, I started to really question each and every single hobby I had, each and every single piece of material good that I had, and I, I really started um, getting serious about whether or not I wanted to, uh, you know, keep all of that stuff because I yeah, you know, yeah. I really wasn't that happy with it all. Uh huh. So what, I guess, what was the process in terms of deciding to kind of get rid of a lot of that stuff and, 
and start saving your money and did you did you have like an a long I guess did you have a goal in the future of of traveling and doing stuff like this or was it kind of just I need to get out of this endless cycle of debt and and not having any money yeah and at first it was just I've got to get my my arms around this debt I've got to I've got to be able to um you know, buy my grandmother a gift on her birthday for gosh sake. And, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I started with that, that was just get out of the hole, um, be, you start paying things off. And, you know, when, when I was growing up, I, and I would guess most people growing up would not, you know, don't get educated on how to manage money and, you know, the, um, dealing with bills and, and how to make, you know, stretch that paycheck yeah. out to pay for things. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad. We're not really taught that in school. So, you know, luckily in, in my lifetime, the, the internet came into play. So, and fortunately there's, you know, I turned to the internet forum groups where there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of groups that are, that are centered around doing exactly that, you know, getting out of debt, um, how to yeah. get a, how to create a budget, um, what are the most important things to pay off first? So I started doing that. I started just one thing at a time, you know, um, making sure that I didn't have a car payment, um, started considering things that, um, I could sell that were, you know, I wasn't using or enjoying at all and, and yeah. eliminating, you know, eliminating all my credit cards except once one. And then the biggest, probably the biggest thing was getting to the point where I have one credit card and it gets paid off at the end of every month. So, you know, that's mm -hmm. just starting to get and you know, and th this process took a couple years, you know, to get ahead of that stuff. Yeah, because I n I noticed when we were on the tour, it seemed like you were even keeping track of like every little thing you were buying. So I'm assuming this is one of the habits that you picked up from this period of your life. Oh yeah, you know, I, luckily I you know nowadays I've got a smartphone and I've got an app on there. I track uh, my spending, um, you know, down to the penny. Literally, you saw that on the tour. I wanted to when I was done as part of my blog and as part of the experience, mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to report back to people exactly how much it was going to cost and how much it did cost me to do all of that. And, yeah. you know, but prior to doing that, I was doing it for myself to see, you know, if I'm, if I'm spending this much money, um, and getting a whole ton of enjoyment out of it, is that the kind of life I wanted to live? You know, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I had done some radical, um, budget cutting and, and <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe the kind, you know, I, I used to do like what everybody would do, you know, but you know, have having new things, buying, having new toys, uh, going out to eat a lot, uh, going to the movies a lot, um, buying, um, fast food, spending money left and right. And, uh, in the end I realized that, you know, I wasn't really enjoying those, that lifestyle that much. And so I wanted yeah, to make, exactly. I wanted to see how much the new lifestyle was going to cost. Uh huh. And I, I think with car, credit cards and debit cards and online, you can just have your credit card saved everywhere. It's just so easy to have money leaving and you don't even realize it. It's like, oh, I'll just click this and then that'll come to my door. And, and you don't realize how quickly you're getting yourself into a hole or, you know, what all you're even spending. You don't even know where, where it's going, really. And it seems like everything's on a recurring payment plan now it's like you got netflix you got this you got that and pretty soon you know you got two or three hundred dollars worth of little things that are sucking out of your bank account and half the stuff you probably don't even use anymore 
Oh yeah, well, I you know I had several hobbies. I I fly fished, which is not a, a cheap hobby. Um, cameras, uh, woodworking, um, Harley Davidson motorcycle, boating. Uh-huh. Um, each one of those hobbies <laughs> is not hobbies is not a, a cheap hobby. <laughs> and uh, yeah, did you have all the magazines for all those hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> all the <laughs> De- definitely a lot of holes in the bucket so that you know the water was flowing out and a lot of a lot of holes that needed plugging and uh and i had to you know i had to take do that one thing at a time mm-hmm. what i guess what's some advice from you in terms of like say you're in just kind of in a hole in debt and, and you don't seem to have any money at the end of the month what's like a couple couple of the first things people should do to start getting working their way out of that well, you know, I, I'm just a huge fan of the internet. I'm I'm on the internet a, a lot, just uh, researching things, and and the, and that's what saved me. You know, it's it got me through um, the financial situation. Um, you know, there there's lots of suggestions on how to get out of debt, how to prioritize the debt, how to prioritize uh, paying things off. And you know, in my case, for example. Um, it was um, getting rid of getting rid of the credit cards that um, you know get it down to one credit card that is paid off every month. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's a huge one. Uh, getting to the point where you have a car that's paid off that's another step. Um, and then starting to look at the expenses. You know what am I spending money on? And it, it's it's no different than trying to lose weight you got to count the calories so you got to count yeah. the, the nickels and dimes and see where it's all going and see if it makes sense to keep letting it flow there uh i think one of the hardest parts is just that first step of actually taking a look at your expenses and your your credit cards and seeing all the stuff that you're spending and how much debt you actually owe because i think everyone kind of has that feeling in their gut like oh god i know i know i'm in debt and i'm spending too much but I'll just wait until next month to look at it. So and it just kind of keeps getting pushed into the future forever. It's tough. It, it, it's really, it's really tough. You've got to, you've got to, re, you've got to let yourself go through the process. It's not something that happens overnight. And there, you know, there's this kind of catharsis that occurs just, just, you know, same way as just pedaling the bicycle, <laughs> just turn, you know, you know uh-huh. how that, you know how that goes. You just turn the cranks and sooner or later you get yeah. there. So it's just one pedal at a time. So if uh-huh. you, you have to trust that, um, in the end you'll, you'll be in a different place and your perspective will be different. You don't, yeah. you, you don't need to know what that is yet. I don't, you might not even know where you want to go, but if you just start knocking it down, you know, chipping it away at it one thing at a time, you, you sooner or later you get there. Yeah, exactly. Just work through the process day one day at a time. Uh, yeah, do you have any do you have any internet resources that you you recall as being really helpful? Well, I, I started with you know Mr. Money Mustache. He comes up right like right away. Um, <laughs> I like the name of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and a lot of people refer to him. He he's a very active blogger. He's got a big website uh, and a lot of the stuff that, that makes sense. He's got a forum that's attached to his website of people that are actually, you know, doing, you know, taking action on their, on their issues and, and reporting yeah. back. Cool. That sounds like a good one. So getting away from the scary finances and stuff, what, uh, what was, what did spark the uh, whole bucket list 
trip? You said you were cutting out pictures and putting them on maps. And I mean, were you were you cycling a lot? And you're like kind of connected the two together and decided to do this? Or was it kind of a result of getting out of all this debt and being able to have, you know, spend some time traveling without having to worry about paying all the bills? I guess what, what brought it on and kind of what was the, the beginning of it? Well, I, I, I pretty much had a bicycle for most of my life, but it was just a recreational thing, you know, just jumping on it and riding it for fun. Um, riding my bicycle went from riding it for fun for me um, to riding it for, um, to be able to deal with the stress, you know, coming out of debt, going through the, mm-hmm. the going through the divorce. It's, it's a lot cheaper than going to therapy. <laughs> Yeah, just burn and, uh, out that energy. <laughs> exactly. So I was, you know, I was right. Tough days at work, come home, ride the bicycle. Um, other stressors, financial stresses, ride the bicycle. You know, it's just a cheap way. It's just an awesome way to, um, to to get away from it all. So I just started riding a lot, and yeah, I started realizing, you know, and I would just throw on my cutoff jeans and a t-shirt and. And, and ride this bicycle that I'd, I'd spent $600 for. It was just more than I could could imagine spending for something. But I, I told myself if I, if I ride it for a year um, and I have to ride it for at least a year and then I'll decide what I want to do. And I started realizing I was starting to pass people on the trails. Yeah. That we have a river that runs through Albuquerque, the Rio Grande, and a big bicycle path that, that runs... Uh, about 15 miles to the south of it along it. And I started finally passing people instead of being passed. And then I started, <laughs> I started passing more people than passed me. And then I finally um, got to the point where I was not getting passed at all. And, and I really started enjoying it. And I started getting competitive and changing the cycling groups that I was riding with and ended up in a, in a social group of cyclists, but were super competitive with each other. So we really pushed yeah, each other. Yeah push each other all the time. And, and I can't imagine not, um, having the bicycle in my life anymore. It's just the thing that keeps me going. And uh-huh. when I started thinking about, is it going to, is it possible for me at my age to retire early? And I always thought yeah. I would, I always thought I would work to the quote unquote retirement age. And, uh, I started trying to imagine what that meant, you know, because, you know, you're going to, if I'm going to live in a house and have a car and insurance and health insurance, all that stuff costs money, um, mm-hmm. which means I've, I'm going to probably need to keep on working. And, but through the process of getting myself out of debt and uh, getting really, really fit on the bicycle, I started um, getting really educated on, um, on my retirement plan and where investments needed to go. And uh, things started looking up and, and the numbers started coming together and it started making a lot more sense that I thought I could actually uh, retire early, but it was going to mean that I would have to be willing to uh, completely change my lifestyle. And that was a, yeah. a, there was a key point there, key pivotal point that I had to try to figure out if um, I could jump off the cliff and if I would survive. <laughs> <laughs> so was this a, a ways into getting out of your debt and kind of getting a little more financially stable? This was a little bit later on. Well, you know, later on, once I got out of debt and I started um, enjoying mm-hmm. enjoying buying toys again, and um, I, I started moving around, getting bigger and bigger houses, and um, started just accumulating all of the stuff. You know, I, I've got a 
I've got that that famous clip that George uh, Carlin put together talking about your stuff. Um, and I had so much stuff under the roof of my house. Uh, I started, and that was when I started realizing I didn't think I I didn't think that I wanted all that stuff anymore. And I really yeah. I really wanted to retire early more than I wanted that stuff. So, so you weren't in debt anymore, but you were still you you just owned a lot of stuff. A lot, <laughs> yeah. This point, <laughs> too many hobbies and a lot of stuff that you know. For example, the Harley Davidson sat an entire year and I never touched it. So I started yeah. getting serious about <laughs> you know selling the stuff and getting rid of stuff because um, I really wanted to retire early. Was that kind of hard at first? I mean, it, it seems like when you're getting ready to sell everything, it's just like uh, you you start really you're kind of picky at first, and then and then it seems like it gets a little easier once you get into it. But how was that for you? Yeah, I st- you know, I started with the stuff that was easy to sell. There was you know woodworking tools, and um, I had uh, fishing gear. You know, things that were easy. <laughs> Um, when the Harley Davidson rolled away, then I started thinking, well, what, wait, what am I doing here? You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the, the biggest one, I, I, and I called them the, you know, the, I don't know if you can bleep these out or any, but, oh, uh, S word moments, um, where <laughs> I was, I really, there was about 10 of those over the course of a year when I was going through this process where I just was, oh, wow, what am I doing? Yeah. What have I yeah. done? Um, <laughs> and I think I think that was probably fast for people that might that do this kind of thing where they sell everything. I think that was kind of fast for me, mm-hmm. and and still it took probably ten of those big big oh wow moments where uh, um, I needed to sell smaller and smaller things, get rid of sm- or I'm sorry, sell bigger and bigger things and get rid yeah. of bigger and bigger things because. You don't just, you know, jump off the cliff <laughs> uh-huh. um, in, until it's whittled down to where you're going to survive when you land. So <laughs> I, by the time I got to the point where my biggest oh wow moment was um, the sold sign on the house that I remember really going, oh, wow, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. When I signed the when I signed the the, the offer on the house, um, accepting their offer, and but oh, I man. couldn't have I couldn't have done that on day one, but it, it was doable and still, um, it felt challenging when it happened. <laughs> yeah, so you kind of built more confidence as you went, but you still had that little moment of anxiety as you're letting these things go. Yeah, so by that time, you know, I had the house sold. Uh, I had. Um, basically a half a garage of stuff left. So I got it, you know, then at that point it was just uh, clearing and purging and doing a big garage sale sort of a thing and whittling Mm -hmm. it down to, now I've got uh, 32 boxes in storage, three bicycles, um, and uh, my car that I put in storage when I go on tour. Wow. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) That's definitely a huge change. (laughs) So, you know, and, and through that process, too, I, I wasn't sure that I really was, you know, what that I was going to like bicycle touring. You know, I, di- I knew I didn't want to just sit on the couch and flip through channels on the TV. I, I'm just not uh-huh. that sedentary of a person. I, I, I don't have that much patience to just um, I, I couldn't see myself enjoying that sort of a retirement. So 
I had this idea that, you know, touring and traveling was going to be something that was going to keep me busy enough. Um, and I would get to see all the places on my bucket list and, uh, replace the act, you know, as active as I was in the work environment. So, uh, I went on a, a few little tours, you know, little two nighter, mm -hmm. three nighter, four nighter overnight, but bicycle tours to see if I really enjoyed it. And I really did. It, it, it was, it, I was hooked. <laughs> so I kept going with That's the awesome. Were they, did you leave from your house and go to these places or did you actually drive some somewhere a little ways away and do the tours? I, I always left from a, from the house. So I did, um, one of the tours was a two-nighter where I, I rode my bicycle around the Sandia Mountains here that are east of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that was about mm -hmm. a 70-mile tour that I did it in, over the course of uh, two nights and, did, and enjoyed that. And then I did another one up into the uh, northern part of New Mexico to the Jemez Mountains. Uh, that was about a four-night, five-day tour, and that was a, a pretty good one. That was about three hundred miles, I think. What was uh, what was your first reaction when you loaded that bike up and started riding away? I mean, was this <laughs> were you kind of surprised at the the difference in riding style compared to what you were doing with the with the cycling group? In, in in those first tours i was just so excited to be on that bicycle <laughs> i had taken i had taken my mountain bike it's a really old heavy aluminum um giant mountain bike with the spring fork on the front and i just mm -hmm. um took some hose clamps and clamped some racks onto it and hung my my panniers on that and uh <laughs> nice. i was just happy that well i remember i, I rode 15 miles from home and I had forgot the poles to my tent. <laughs> I'd left them on the garage floor. <laughs> so I, oh, I rode boy, back. I rode back home and got them <laughs> and, and then went back. So, I, you know, I, that was just a, that was a bicycle that I, that I already owned and I, it didn't cost me much more to convert it into a touring bicycle that could hold bags. And I, I was just really, really happy to be out there just completely enjoying riding that bicycle. Uh -huh. So it was a really good first experience then. Yeah, and so I, you know, the next time I did one that was a little longer, and then I did another one that was a little, lo little bit longer, and that's when I finally purchased the. Um, it's a dedicated touring bicycle, and started planning um, the big tour, you know, and started really yeah. getting getting serious about uh, touring across the country as a part of retirement. How much preparation went into that first tour? Was it like six months, a year? How long were you thinking about it? And and how detailed were your plans for it? Well, this was back when I was in parallel, started, starting to put the numbers together to retire early and starting to mm -hmm. sell things. It, probably a year before I went on that tour, if you would have asked me a year before I went if I could tour 6,000 miles on a bicycle, um, I would have said, no way, I'll be killed and eat by, eaten by grizzly bears. You know, <laughs> That's um, what Fox News says anyways. And, and, and everybody does, you know, my, yeah, that's I, true. <laughs> if, you know, when I, when you start talking that way, they start really seriously considering how crazy you are. And then yeah. when they see that you're really going to do it, that's when the, uh, the gentle, um, um, scare tactics kick, in, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and I was there, I was there myself, you know, the concept of riding across the country to me, um, I, I believed I was going to be hit at least once by a car. I yeah. figured, you know, that's just going to be something I'm going to have to 
probably deal with at some point. Um, and I, but I started re and, and you know, and I also started thinking about, uh, well, I'll probably get sick at some point and will my insurance cover it? I'll probably get robbed at some point, and, you know, and all of these things stack up and I started trying to figure out, you know, is it really worth it to, yeah. to, to deal with getting hit, getting robbed and, and, you know, getting sick. Did you have like yeah. contingency <laughs> plans in your mind for each one of these? You're like, how many hits can I take before it's too much? <laughs> Well, you know, and, and I've been riding around Albuquerque, and, and our um, yeah, Albuquerque is not. There's not a lot of people that really love us cyclists here, so we're at, it's actually uh, a pretty, pretty decent training ground for for defensive driving yeah. <laughs> on a bicycle. And but I was also reading a lot of other people's blogs because I thought, you know, I think I'm too old. I don't think I'm fit enough, and I don't think. Um, it's safe enough for me to go out there on bicycle tour, but I was reading blog after blog after blog of these people that were successfully doing it and not having any of the problems that I was um, imagining. Yeah. How uh, do do you mind if I ask how old you were when you left? Uh, let's see. I'm 53 now, and let's see. Okay. 50. I think I did my first tour when I was 50. 50. Yeah. Yeah, because I I feel like a lot of people, you know. They, they feel like if they're not in their 20s, then this kind of travel isn't possible. But I mean, I, we ran into people that were well into their 60s, maybe even 70s, some of them that were out we, there on the road doing it. So we've got guy, we've got uh, guys in the bicycle touring group group around the world that are well into their well into retirement, into their 60s, into their 70s yeah. and, and still actively riding their bicycles. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So. Let's lead up to that day that you left for this big tour. Did you have a lot of sleepless nights? Uh, were you pretty anxious that night before? Do you remember? Let's see. I'm trying to remember the night before. Um, at that point, I had sold my house, and I still had a, about a month left. So I had I had moved my boxes into storage, and I was um, staying in a spare room at my mother's house um, in Placidas, New Mexico, which is just a little bit north of Albuquerque. So, um, I, I'd had a going away party, um, there with all of my friends, um, from work, um, a friend, personal friends from, from, that I met through boating, um, lots of friends from my bicycle club, um, oh, and, pretty neat. and family came from, you know, my brother came out, my sister came out, um, a friend from Germany came out, um, to see me off. And, uh, I, I was just excited. You know, I don't really sleep that much anymore. Anyways. Um, <laughs> That's true. I wasn't lying when I said you only sleep four hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had to it, deal with that waking up in the morning, trying to catch up with you. Yeah. The clue was the light on in my tent from across the campsite, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like three in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Turning the, turning the pages in the map book. I'm like, oh, he's waking up. No, <laughs> <laughs> I better start packing. Did he ever go to bed? <laughs> so I, I was just excited. You know, I, I, I had done so many dry runs in my head, and I'd packed the bicycle so many different times. Um, so I, I was really ready to go. That's cool. So what what were those first couple weeks like? Because I imagine that – I think you even told me a little bit about it. It sounded like it was a pretty tough ride. Because you're, you're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you were basically riding through desert. Maybe map, Maybe briefly map out – some of the key points on your trip so people can get an idea of your circuit that you made and then go into a little bit about that first couple of weeks. 
Okay, sure, yeah. So Albuquerque is, is kind of um, in the middle of New Mexico, probably about two-thirds of the way up to the north. And uh, my bucket list tour was going to have me leave from Albuquerque and head straight towards the Four Corners area. So that's a couple hundred miles away. And then I was mm -hmm. going to basically bounce back and forth, heading north from National Park to National Park. So uh, Four Corners, uh, Monument Valley, Arches, uh, Bryce Canyon... You know, and just working my way up into uh, like um, the Tetons, Yellowstone, and then ultimately up into Canada. So yeah, I left on June 16th of 2014, which um, it, it's hot. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hot here in the desert southwest. Although, although, although we're at 5,000 feet, when I left, uh, I had a string of... 10 days in a row where I never saw the temperature on my thermometer dip below a hundred degrees during the day. So wow. it was always tri triple digits And And before I left, I was, I had actually just finished uh, training for uh, the iron horse um, bicycle classic um, bicycle race in Durango. So I was, I thought in, in my mind, I was very, very fit on the racing bike. Mm -hmm. uh, turns out <laughs> that, um, <laughs> Touring, touring fitness is is not in line with racing fitness. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I mean, I admit, I, I at that level, I really didn't know what I was doing. I knew what I was doing for a two night or a three nighter, but uh -huh. I had way too much stuff on the bicycle. I, you know, my water bag fell off three times just just within a mile of leaving my mother's house, and uh, oh, wow. I'd retie everything on, and I. Over the course of two weeks, or was it over the course of three weeks, I lost 15 pounds. Um, and I, I realized that uh, something was wrong when I, when the simplest of hills, I couldn't even pedal up without getting completely exhausted. And I just yeah. huge, huge loss of power, and I knew something was wrong. Um, luckily, I was close to the Tetons, and um, a friend and my mother had driven up. I was having a lot of trouble with um, the saddle that I was using. They were out um, driving around exploring and picked up a new saddle for me and brought it to me up in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And so oh, I, was, okay. I was able to take three days off there and just uh, eat and get strong. <laughs> and, Eating and... is important on these kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, don't you know it. And, and, so, and then I packed... <laughs> I packed a box of things that I that I sent home. So I told myself I'm not going to do anything drastic for three weeks. I'm not going to send any, anything home for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So when they brought me that new uh, saddle, I uh, also sent back a box with them. So I I had things figured out by then, and I yeah. lightened I lightened up the bicycle, um, and I uh, that's when things started getting a lot better. I started going shorter days, stopped pushing myself as hard. Yeah, how many miles were you doing at first? Oh, the first couple of days I was easily doing seventy. You know, I was used on my pretty good. on my racing bike. I was used to doing seventy miles easy. That's a, that's just a mm -hmm. typical training ride. So I figured over the course You're of like the I day, have to at least do that. <laughs> I've got yeah, a whole day. <laughs> yeah, you got a whole day. You can. <laughs> I certainly can do seventy miles in a day. And it turns out that you know that da downward spiral uh, just keeps going down unless you um, stop and and supplement it back up yeah especially with that kind of heat i think that was another 
part of it. Oh yeah, it, it was brutal. There, it was brutal. <laughs> so when when your mom came, was that was that when you had uh, got the Brooks saddle? Yeah, I oh, I okay. I, I talk about that a little bit. Well, I, you know, I, I'm I'm really a, a show me kind of a person. I, I didn't believe all the hype on the Brooks saddle, and I was like, oh yeah, you really don't need a Brooks saddle. And I'd had one before. And I ended up selling it because it, you know, I wasn't convinced that it worked for me. But I had yeah. the most amazing saddle sores that need something needed to happen. <laughs> I, um, I actually thought for sure that I was going to have to stop my tour. They were that bad. I was to the oh, point, wow. to the point where w- the pedaling meant I had to stand in the pedals. So I was standing and pedaling all day. So did you just have like tears coming out of your eyes as you're pedaling down the road? Like, oh, you know, so I mean, you keep, you just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I just thought, um, it needs to get better. And the mm-hmm. saddle, the saddle change was my last hope. And people were on the bicycle touring group were convinced that the Brooks saddle was the way to go. Except yeah. I knew, I knew that it was going to take some breaking in. So once I actually yeah, did it, say what about 500 miles or so? Yeah, it took it took around four or five hundred miles to actually break it in. But once it did, then those longer days, you know, and, and like you you saw this. I mean, you can you can tour on any bicycle out there. You know, it yeah. doesn't even it doesn't even really need to fit your body size. It's just mm-hmm. when you when you start doing the longer days is when when those things start to get amplified. So yeah, you start wearing down. Yeah, longer days or climbing bigger hills, and then the saddle issue really would flare up. Yeah. Yeah, because you seemed to be fairly comfortable by the time you, well, you ran into me. It seemed yeah, like you kind of worked those issues out. By then, I, I, have it, I had it pretty much figured out. You know, for my setup and for touring through Canada and, you know, the Pacific Northwest with all the hills and the access to the services and water and stu- such, I knew that. I needed to take a break every four days or so. I knew that I needed to limit my daily mileage to, um, you know, two pieces, a morning piece and an afternoon piece, you know, around 50 miles total for the day. Uh And um, I knew how much I needed to eat. Yeah. So were there any scary moments at the beginning there or in the, I mean, other than you almost, you know, burning your entire body's weight worth of calories away? (laughs) <laughs> did you have any 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 of those fears come true i guess is what i'm going for that uh you know the cars running you over or wolves coming after you in the night did you have any scary moments those first few months there you know there was living in this part of the country we have a lot of blm land around here and uh traveling from albuquerque up through the northwest of here there there's not campgrounds you know there's not a campground every 50 miles Mm -hmm. or 40 miles like on the pacific coast highway um so i knew i was going to be camping on blm land just opening a gate somewhere and pushing my bicycle through and hoping that an axe murderer didn't find me in the middle of the night (laughs) that was my fear you know i actually thought there are people out there you know hiding behind pinon trees waiting for cyclists to set their tents up and <laughs> it, <laughs> Wait till they fall asleep and then just hack them up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so luckily for me, um, it was easy to get desensitized to that fear because by the end of the day, I was so incredibly tired that 
That's true. That that I slept like a baby, and so you start yeah. you start stacking up, you know, five, ten days in a row of nothing, you know, no axe murderers coming through the tent at night. That you start to realize, you know, that was a that was a fantasy. A <laughs> yeah, I can relax. Uh, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So overall, it was a uh, it wasn't too bad of a start then yeah so i you know i needed to have that happen and like you know i mm-hmm. like i'd learned through going through the process of um, paying off my bills like i'd learned through the process of getting fit and getting faster on my racing bicycle like i learned by going through the process of selling all of my stuff i knew that i just needed to allow myself to go through this process of yeah um putting you know experiencing um, demonstrating that my fears were not real. And uh-huh. sure, there was, I think, on my entire trip, even after we met up, I mean, I think we saw one experience on the Pacific Coast Highway um, where we had like a, a kind of a close call with a car. And I yeah. think it I think it happened to me maybe twice on the whole tour. Um, you know, and in the end, it's, it's, it's things like that are going to happen. It's, somebody was just you know, we had a, our friend Irie that actually did get hit by a guy that um, that wasn't paying attention and leaned over to pick up a water bottle in his truck mm-hmm. and, and hit her. Fortunately for her, thank goodness that uh, it, it's um, she's recovering. Yeah. But um, it, it wasn't of the magnitude like I thought it would be at all. It's just it's it's incredible. Um, if the reality was that there were so many people out there. Um, wanting to help and and so yeah, that's what so, I too. so many people that were just so excited to talk to us you know we saw that so much even in our group on the pacific coast highway and even more so when i was alone um out on the road just um in the middle of the desert was one thing but then when i got to the national parks it was literally like being treated like a celebrity people were just so yeah. excited <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> Tell yeah. me more. Can I take my picture with you? <laughs> yeah. Do you need any food or water? What can I get you? It, it was That's... it was unreal. I had no idea it was going to be like that. Yeah, that was that was one of my best memories from the from touring. Is just you go out there and like you said, everyone's always giving you these fear stories about how you're going to get murdered or ran over, and then when you get out there, you realize that. 99.9% of the people out there are actually really awesome <laughs> and and want to help you. And I, I think being on that bike loaded down, riding out there in the middle of nowhere, it makes it, it makes it easier for you to approach people and easier for other people to approach you. And kind of all those, like, when you're in your daily routine, you know, going to work and doing all this stuff, and everyone's just kind of, this person's just serving me coffee. This person's, you know, everyone's just kind of exhilarating, exhilarating to your life. Whereas when you're on the tour, it's, I don't know, you're always, maybe it's because you're alone. <laughs> you're like looking for a connection, but it, it just seems way easier to open up to people and, and get to, get to a connection quicker than it does in normal everyday life. Yeah. I was, you know, you got a lot of time to think when you're on the bicycle out there, of course, you know that. And, um, I, I was thinking about that phenomenon. I was like, is it, is it, are, am I being approached because, of some energy I'm giving off, you know, where I'm like welcoming to them or Mm -hmm. is it something about these unique to these people that are approaching me? And I, I ended up, um, I, I, I got to the point where, where I wasn't approaching people very often. I found that, um, and I think this is the case in general that 
um, people would prefer to to make the choice to approach on their own, you know, at their comfort level. So, yeah. In the end, I was if somebody approached me, they were typically incredibly excited. You know, they were either yeah. well, for example, um, I was in Mon- Missoula, Montana, um, standing in line at the post office. I had locked up my bicycle outside. And I was at the in the post office in Missoula picking up a, a box that my brother had sent me of some supplies and snacks and things like that. And when I left the post office, I uh, went outside and I was unlocking my bicycle, um, trying to strap this cardboard box to the back of it. Uh-huh. And, and I was wondering, um, where where am I going to stay? And uh, a, a man approached me and started talking to me. And in the end, he just, within five minutes, he offered me up his apartment, which was just right around the corner. Um, and wow. let, me, let me stay on his floor to, to spend the night. It was just an incredible experience. And, and that yeah, is and that just seems to happen over and over, doesn't it? Tip of the iceberg. It just just yeah. over and over and over that kind of stuff would happen. And I think it's it's kind of getting over that fear of not knowing where you're going to stay at the end of the night and what's going to happen, and just kind of letting go and trusting that something something will come up. Because I think I remember you even telling me what you were riding from Pataluma to uh, y- Yosemite, and there was a night when. You were you couldn't find a place to stay, and there were just fences everywhere, and uh, and I forget you came upon like a a tree or something like that where you can could set up behind. You can yeah, tell way better than I just did. <laughs> well, I think I was um, I the, the previous day I had kind of a not a fun experience coming through Oakland. I ended up off course um, and ended up smack dab in the middle of an intersection where every inner every corner of the intersection had a drug dealer on it and, and i had a red i had a red light <laughs> <laughs> you were the only one obeying the laws at that time exactly and <laughs> and so the next and i'd stayed in tracy that night so that next day i was um trying to work my way from tracy to the east towards uh Yo- yosemite and it was starting to get late and i was pushing it i actually had had made a bad decision to to push on instead of finding a camp early because uh, I felt like I had some more miles in me. Well, the sun started mm-hmm. to go down and I started kind of getting, you know, really getting anxious because the, there was fences everywhere, barbed wire fences and lots of gates, but they all had locks on them. And I didn't, and yeah. I didn't want to cross onto um, private property. Um, and the sun was going down and I was really getting worried, you know, that there was, there was not much room between the pavement and the fence to put a tent. I got to, to that point where I was probably just going to put my tent anywhere that I could find a spot. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right at the very, probably the last moment, you know, I was starting to realize like I had done all along that uh, the most important thing I learned was to just let go and stop yeah. trying to make it happen. And when you do that, things start happening. And so I was trying to, re- I was trying really hard to remind myself of that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> lo and behold, it not happen this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there, and there was nothing out there. There was, there were no towns, yeah. there were no doors to knock on and maybe one car every half an hour or so. And, and lo and behold, um, this big Oak tree up on the side of this embankment that, that they could not cut the road around. They cut it through. So, I thought, wow, I think there's just enough space up there to fit a tent and I could sneak up there in between cars and get set up before the sun goes down. So I pushed my bicycle up that embankment and 
yeah and set my tent up under this big oak tree and uh slept like a baby all night it was just one of the one of the best <laughs> nights i've ever had that's awesome yeah it's a great story yeah it really is amazing how many times things like that happen i have probably dozens of similar stories too for my tour um what were some of your favorite national parks some of the fa- your favorite places that you saw along this tour well, let's you went see. all the way up to where Alberta, Banff in Alberta, and then you came down to what Washington, Oregon, out to the Pacific Coast, and then all the way down to your families in Petaluma, and then out to Yosemite, kind of that way. So, yeah, Petaluma, a, a big the, Petal- arc, a big, huge sort of a triangular loopish sort of a thing. Um, so you know, and, and all of it was driven by you know the most northern point was driven by wanting to go um, across the Icefields Parkway from from uh banff to jasper I, yeah. I just i wanted to do that um and i also wanted to um see some family over in the pacific northwest and i also really wanted to ride the pacific coast highway because i knew you know i'd heard so many good things about it but uh-huh and you know all, all of those were driven by a map created by connecting all the dots on my bucket list either either places i wanted to see national parks or um, roads that i wanted to ride like the ice fields parkway or Mm -hmm. um you know along or like the pacific coast highway um and i just connected all those dots so um probably the my favorite that actually ended up not being on my bucket list was the grand tetons i could i don't even know why that did not those mountains did not end up in my picture book. Um, yeah. The most surreal um, experience I think I've ever had, like standing in a postcard and not believing that <laughs> real mountains could actually provide such an incredible view. Wow. Yeah, I always see so many amazing pictures in that area. Were you just were you on your way to Yellowstone and you're like, well, I might as well hit the Grand Tetons while I'm here. Well, I had you know I had stopped to meet my mom and her friend in uh, Jackson Hole. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, that was, that was kind of a staging point headed into Yellowstone. So yeah, the Tetons themselves were just happened to be, you know, on the way <laughs> to Yellowstone. And, you know, if I, if I ever go back, I'll definitely spend some more time in, in the Tetons yeah. taking pictures. Just amazing, amazing place. Yeah. That's, that's the problem where you see all these amazing places and you're like, Oh, I could stay here for like a week or a month. And then you move on to another one. You're like, Oh, I could stay here. It's like, it's like there's never enough time. Well, you there's know, so and then amazing places out there. What was interesting. And I know you experienced this too. Like you get on a place like the Pacific coast highway where like, wow, I should stop here for a few hours and get some pictures. I should stay here until sunset. I can get some really great angles. But then the next day, you wake up and you have this clean slate and it all happens all over again. You know, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> every day is an adventure really. And, it, and it ama- it's just amazing. The, the, the things just keep getting better and different and, and the exploration just continues, you know, it just gets yeah. bigger and bigger. <laughs> well, cause I, I remember we would, we would find cafes every once in a while and we'd sit down and update our blogs and my Instagram and, and we would sit there and try to recall the previous day and it would, there'd be like 20, 30 highlights of the day that we could recall. And it just seemed like so many things happened every day. It was, it's crazy. It's kind of hard now, like being back to working at a regular job. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> well, I went to work and then I came home. A... <laughs> yeah. I remember like there's uh, so much happening out there. It was either me and you would be sitting in a Starbucks, um, because we would get up early and, and, uh, tell everybody that we were going to go charge our equipment and update our blogs. We'd be 
sitting there quizzing each other on what happened the day before. Either that or um, every evening I really enjoyed when we would have our big picnic table of all of our friends um, just trying to recall what had happened during the day that day, you know, to, yeah. try, to, to try to get the details right. <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about that in terms of, of uh, riding with people on the road because we, we both did two separate tours, didn't know each other before this. I was uh, I started out in Vancouver, Canada, and went down to Ensenada, Mexico. So I was just mainly going the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, I don't think I really ran into. I might have seen like one or two cyclists in Northern Washington that I talked to briefly, but I really didn't run into anyone until I met you in in Northern Oregon, and uh, that's kind of when the the whole group of people that we ran into along the way started piling up. What was it like on your end? Did you see many people, and kind of what was what was the experience when you finally hit the coast? Well, prior to that, uh, I, I wasn't meeting people. I, I thought I thought that I would. And turns out that I was actually going in the opposite direction that most touring cyclists were going. When I was headed north up into Canada, if I saw a touring cyclist, they were, they were typically going the other way. And I would probably see one touring cyclist every three or four days. And mm-hmm. uh, when I would get to the national parks and stay in their hiker biker sites there. That's when I would start meeting other people, either the backpackers or I would meet other guys on bicycles going in the other direction. And then when I got to Canada, that's when I started seeing the, the world level cyclists, the guys that, you know, I started, I was getting comments from tourists and they would say, you look like you've been out a while. Well, I saw guys, guys on bicycles that I commented, you really look like you've been out a while. (laughs) And these yeah, people every were, time you think uh, you're at one level, you meet someone else that's like 10 times above where you're at. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I met people that had been touring all, all over the world, you know, tens of thousands of miles. And here I am yeah. proud of my uh, 2,000 miles. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when I when I ran into you, I think I remember asking you, I was like, oh, how far have you gone? And I wasn't expecting you were to say, oh, I left New Mexico, went all the way up to Canada, and now I'm on my way back. Down. I was like... Oh, well, I did a few hundred miles so far. <laughs> Just put me to shame. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, let's meet up. You know, let's meet up at camp. And I'm like, well, I'm staying in Astoria for a day, so I doubt I'll catch up with you since you're going to be moving on. <laughs> well, I, you you're know, in I, too good a shape for that to happen. I, I'll but never luckily. forget that because I, I, at that point in time, I was so starving for human interaction. You know, when you yeah. rolled, when you rolled in there, at that, and I, I remember it was a like a state park picnic ground overlooking the Columbia River at the top of this uh-huh. big, huge hill, and we were both sweating to death because it was really hot yeah, and humid. I that think day. I had three heart attacks getting up that hill. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, every time you said that you were, you know, it sounded like you were going in the same direction. It sounded like you were pedaling at the same pe- pace. It's, it looked like you had a, just as much weight on your bike as I did. And, uh, uh, I thought, wow, maybe, maybe we can ride together. And, uh, and then when you said that you were going to, I think you were stopping in Astoria, Astoria, to, yeah, to go, uh, to stay for an additional day. That's when we got disconnected. And, uh, but that's when I actually joined up with the Pacific coast highway. And I'm really glad that you, um, that we stayed in touch because, um, the magic of the group of people, and, and I would imagine that it, it happens no matter what group you're in. But we had this really, yeah. really cool, unique group of people that just clicked so well together that we ended up riding together every day. And I'm really uh, glad yeah, that, it was you, amazing. that you uh, 
busted your butt or whatever it took for you to catch up to us. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I I really can't imagine that trip without that group of people. I mean, so many so many random things happened because of that. And uh, it was, you gave me, I think you had like little business cards you made up for your blog. So uh, when I was getting ready to leave a story, I was like looking you up. I'm like, where's he going now? And uh, I, I originally didn't think I had a chance to catch up. And I think that first day I planned to go about 40 miles south from Astoria. And I got to camp early and I was like, I feel really good. Like, I'm, I'm just going to go another 15 miles to the next campsite. So I did that. And then that night, I think I looked up where you were going the next day. And I was like, oh, it's another 60 miles. I was like, I could do it. I just did it. <laughs> so push, push to catch up. And then I think we rode for like two and a half weeks straight without a break. And <laughs> I was dead by the end of that. Oh yeah. But still, you know, when I think when I saw you, you had, you were still early in your touring experience yeah. and uh, we were both struggling on the hills, but you know, I felt that I was a little bit stronger than you in the beginning, but by the end, for sure, you were way stronger than me. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe that maybe that last couple of days you were just a little sick or something. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, it's man. just, it's, it's just one days. of those it's just one of those things where our group uh, would get together every night at the picnic table and decide on the next day's route, and uh, you know, we started reaching a little further each time, and and uh, yeah. It, it was it was so fun, but boy, yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, Three the Canadian weeks guys we were riding with, they had a schedule, so we had a in order to keep the group together, we had to stay with their schedule. So <laughs> we're like, all right, we'll we'll do it. Yeah, and and I I wasn't willing to uh, disconnect from that group. It was, they, we had so many fun people in that group. Yeah, it was it was a ton of fun, and then uh, I got to meet like a good good chunk of your family in Pataluma. They kind of took me in, <laughs> spent a few days there, got to meet your brother and. Wes and sister-in-law Debbie and the whole family. It was it was a fun time. You, you yeah, actually, you have a really awesome family. <laughs> well, thank you. And they, yeah, and they 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 really enjoyed you. And and you know that uh, my my brother and sister-in-law um, really wanted you to stay. And luckily, they talked you into staying a couple extra days. Yeah, um, uh, I'm definitely glad I stayed. It was, <laughs> it was a blast. <laughs> you know, and then you you went on ahead and did the 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 real deal. You did the whole deal. You did the full Pacific Coast Highway. Um, yeah, I, I disconnected from you and started heading east over towards Yosemite and Death Valley. And uh, you know, but I'm glad that we stayed in touch. And you know, that's that's the magic about bicycle touring. And and luckily the inter luckily the internet's around nowadays that we can really stay in yeah, touch. Yeah, it's easy to keep up with people. Um, and I'm sure that we'll have future adventures together. I just, I can't yeah, imagine that definitely. that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the, the fun of doing something like this. When you meet up with a group of people, you just, you have so many experiences during a, a day that I think it, it really builds those friendships at like a, high rate of speed compared to normal life you just you have so many experiences you kind of counting on each other for uh different things and it's it's a ton of fun and it's a quick way to make really good friends <laughs> yeah you know you it, it's kind of interesting because it's it's very unique i think um as quickly as friendships and connections were developed and and i thought maybe it's just anybody on a bicycle but i mean i think you experienced it too that you either click or you don't. And when you're bicycle touring, mm -hmm. you know, that, that connection happens super fast within the course of a day. We, you know, yeah. we all, we all became really, really good friends. Yeah, man. It's hard. It's hard not to daydream about those times right now. I'm definitely ready for the next tour. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so do you have anything in mind in terms of what you want to do next? Well, you know, I had, I, I had imagined that, um, 
you know, as part of this whole thing, this was this tour around the the Western United States and Canada was sort of my tour to see if I really liked touring and if it was mm-hmm. something I wanted to keep doing. So I had the idea that I, you know, I want to go from here in Albuquerque down into Central America and Panama at least next. But one thing I did learn, you know, riding with you and the group was that I really want to tour, you know, with more than, you know, more than alone. So yeah. I'm, I'm currently in the process of trying to put together at least a small group of people that might want to do that same tour down into Central America. Um, and that would start in May of 2015. Okay. So you're shooting for, yeah, so this spring coming up then. Yeah. I don't know if I'll make that one, but I'm definitely going to make another, <laughs> we're definitely going to do another one of these together. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. That's and I'll, fun. you know, I'll make sure I'm back so that, uh, wherever you go on tour, we'll go tour somewhere together. Yeah. Oh man, it's so much fun. Do you have any advice for people that are thinking about getting into this that are kind of like, you know, I'm, I am i can't ride a bicycle. I'm not in that much shape. I'm got too much debt, blah, blah, blah. Like where, <laughs> what's some good advice to get started? figure out if this is something they might want to do well you know i'm i'm a huge fan i hopefully you can tell of of not reinventing the wheel so i you know i'd highly suggest uh get in connect you know connect with people that are already doing it you know and a good place to start like on the uh facebook bicycle touring group and and that's what it's called you can just search on bicycle touring it's over ten thousand members it's an open group um we've got many many members who are just getting started we've got many experienced members so I, I haven't come across a question yet that that there wasn't somebody on the group that couldn't answer. So and you yeah. know and and that's a great way to start. And, it, and it's more than bicycle touring. There's people on there that say, I've just got this old mountain bike. You know, do you think I could make this a touring bike? And we've got got mm-hmm. other people that that say, um, how do how do you get more vacation days? How can you make this happen? Um, I really want to yeah. tour, but I don't know how to do it. So it's a great way, you know, instead of having to figure it out yourself, um, read about it or ask other people that have done it before. Yeah. And everyone seems to be pretty, pretty friendly on there and really helpful. So it's definitely a good one. What about some other resources? I know I I didn't read it that much, but there's crazy guy on a bike, right? That's a pretty popular one, which I think you just moved your blog over to that, right? Yeah. That's where I got my feet wet. Uh, I found, I can't remember who told me about crazy guy on a bike, but it is, it is, I would say the number one, um, bicycle touring blog website, monster, uh, meta website, um, on the internet. <laughs> and you know, if you, it's not very pretty, it's not very polished, but it's super fast. It's very text-based. There's not a lot of graphics, but it's, um, the key thing is the guy who runs it says that there's pretty much only one ground rule is that you, if you're going to blog, you're only going to blog about touring. So it's got to mm-hmm. be an adventure and, and it's worldwide. And, and all of those blogs are archived on there. And I read uh, dozens, dozens and dozens of blogs to help me um, get over some of the, the, the fears and anxieties that I had. Um, and so yeah. I, w- I would suggest that one too. I mean, if you don't want to participate in a forum, crazy guy on a bike is a great place to have you know, to just to read about other people's blogs, either either old ones or ones that are currently ongoing. What about in terms of, I guess, maps and stuff like that? I know there's, is it adventure cycling? I didn't, I didn't really use too many. I kind of relied on my Google Maps app, which happens to have a bicycle-friendly route finder, which worked really well. But 
I know there's a lot of other resources out there. There's I know if you're doing the Pacific Highway, there's the book, which we read <laughs> from quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, Part that of our book, ritual at the end of the night. That book is is amazing. Um, I, you know, and I think that uh, if somebody's going to bicycle tour and they want to do it safely, um, you definitely find out right away if you're on the wrong road. Um, yeah, and you, there are some. There are some. There are better roads that are more widely traveled by bicycle tourists, and the the premier authority of that would be the um, Adventure Cycling Association, based out of Missoula, Montana. They they keep an ongoing um, department of people who keep um, maps across the country for bicycle tour, exclusively for bicycle touring. And uh, they're they're great maps, of course, like you said. Um, Google now has um, a bicycle routing function built into their their tool, but it's not necessarily yeah. going to give you um, a route that that more bicycle tourists will travel. It'll just give you yeah. The, it's it's kind of hit or miss. Sometimes it works out really well. Sometimes it kind of sends you in a weird direction. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, if you're bicycle touring, there's there's only a few things that you really want to know. You want to know if it's got a good shoulder on the side of the road. You want to know how far apart. From, is the water and the services and how far apart are the accommodations those are the kinds yeah. of things you want to know so you know you're looking ideally for a map that that guides you through all of that and and the ACA maps the adventure cycling association maps do that for you yeah there's really a lot of good stuff out there I think uh, we're gonna wrap it up this has been an awesome podcast with you Russ I, <laughs> I always enjoy talking to you and reminiscing about that tour that we went on um, but before we go Maybe mention some of the places people can follow you online. I know you have a blog that I'm not sure if you're going to use it again this next time around. Um, maybe just kind of give out your URLs. And oh, okay, yeah, sure. And and by the way, I've I've completely enjoyed this. Is uh, you you've really been an excellent host, and it's I, I could I could see both of us easily going off on a tangent just as as bicycle tourists to bicycle <laughs> tourists. But um, if people want to read my blog from the adventure that I, we were talking about, it's it's at www.manbikeworld.com. That's all, you know, no spaces. Manbikeworld.com is the easiest. And uh, I'll, I'll always um, let that point to the blog that I'm, that I'm going on. So um, check that out. Cool. Yeah, and like you, like you said, you're on the, the Facebook group. And uh, you, po- you post a lot of good stuff on there. You got some videos on your blog and everything. So it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, I'm excited to see what you do on the next tour. I know you're kind of, you've been thinking about a, a lot of different uh, ways to improve the blog and do photos and video and stuff. So yeah, it's and I and I'd say, I mean, check it out because I, you know, one thing I told myself when I was blogging was that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna hold back. So uh, as as a, a novice <laughs> bicycle tourist, um, I didn't uh, polish any, I didn't polish it up too much. You know, I, on the bad days, that's what I reported. So. If I, if I went on a hard hill, that's what you'll see in the videos or you'll read in the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's real. It's as real as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Russ. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I'm sure we'll be talking to each other soon sometimes. Thanks a lot for doing all of this. All right. So you can follow me, John Jerko, at John Jerko on Twitter and Instagram and find out more about Odyssey and Muse, including show notes for each episode at odysseyandmuse.com. But uh, most importantly, go to iTunes and subscribe and rate the show. That's how the show gets noticed and grows, and uh, hopefully it'll just keep getting better and better. And thanks for listening, and until next time, follow your true north.